0: Our message today comes from Matthew, chapter 25, verses 14 through 19. Hear these words. For it is as if a man going on a journey summoned his slaves and entrusted his property to them. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability. Then he went away. The one who had received the five talents went off at once and traded with them and made five more talents. In the same way, the one who had two talents made two more talents, but the one who had received the one talent went off and dug a hole in the ground and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of these slaves came and settled accounts with them. This is the word of God. With the people of god thanks be to god
1: thanks for reading the gospel for us today you all may not know this about me but i'm really not much of a a chef or or a cooker um we have this strange division in our household where when it comes to dinner time i sort of i'm great at prepping i can cut up the chicken right i can dice the onions but like i don't really cook very well in my estimation. I can make mac and cheese, pretty good at that, right? I can uh, fry some eggs, Uh, it's one of my specialties. Uh, But there's one thing that I am good at, and that's baking. Uh, For me, there's a difference between cooking and baking. And baking is all about measurement. It's all about uh, precision and accuracy. It's two and a half cups of flour, not two heaping, unscooped cups of flour. You gotta do it right. And that's how you get your cookies just perfect. That last minute of cookies, by the way, is incredibly important. Those of you who are bakers know this. You have to watch them. You can't just like set the timer and walk away, right? Right when the edges get a little golden brown, that's exact, and I mean like tan golden brown. You gotta touch it. And if it's firm, that's when you can pull it out. You don't believe me? Try it. Your cookies will be better, I promise. You pull them out and that's it. And baking is all about measurement. I think that's why I'm better at baking than cooking, because cooking's not really about measurement. Uh, you might disagree with me. Feel free to send me a bad email. I'll read it. Uh, you know, but it's it's more like an art. And I'm like, man, I can't do that. I can follow instructions. I'm like a, like Legos with food, so I can do baking. I can follow the instructions. I can do the measurement. Our society is all about measurement, is it not? I don't know if you uh, have been in HEB lately or Kroger. And you check out the the magazine rack. You know, Time runs this thing every now and then, like, you know, the People of the Year uh, edition. Forbes will run, like, top billionaires, and it's always the same, billionaires, shocker. And uh, sometimes they'll do, like, top 30 CEOs, you know, under the age of 30. Uh, So there's always these magazines running these sort of things on measurement. And to me, that's very interesting to, to check those out. Uh, we live in homes that we see and sort of measure. We measure them by, like, you know, bedrooms, square footage, or a number of baths. Uh, we measure our cars, whether you have, uh, you know, a 15, 17, an 18, a Toyota S, a Toyota SE, a Toyota SEL, uh, a Honda LX, a Honda EX, and you're like, right, what do all these trim packages mean? Uh, but we measure all these things. We measure um, our phones. Do you have the iPhone X? Do you have the iPhone 10? I don't even know what iPhone we're on anymore. You know, I just have one and I think it works most of the time. Uh, Some of you have, you know, like the the Google, is it the Pixel, the the Google phone? See, none of you have it. Maybe two of you. No, no one? All right. I'm by myself talking about Google products. That's all right. You know, uh, and then we measure our vacations and you take your selfies and you put them on Facebook or you put them on Instagram, you see how many likes you get. We're always measuring all the time. We're wondering how we measure up to ourselves, to our expectations, to others, to our friends, to our neighbors. We're keeping up with the Joneses, whatever it is. Our society is obsessed with measuring. Part of this is because we live in a a capitalist society and we're grateful for that in the terms of the benefits that it offers. But if we're honest, there's a number of drawbacks as well. And I wanna draw attention to kind of three of those this morning. Uh, The first one is uh, credit. And the second one is that it uh, could pull out the dark side of our souls. And the third one is that we actually might get rich. We actually might get rich. So this first one, this, uh, this credit is sort of a dark side of capitalism. It promises tomorrow's pleasures with yesterday's money. And we end up kind of bloating our lifestyle way beyond what we can manage. And before you know it, you're paying 17%, 19% on things that you bought three Christmases ago, maybe? You can't remember? And credit is one of the evils of our society. Always has been in the tradition of the church for the longest time. The church has condemned um, usury, is what it used to be called, an excessive credit. The second one is it fuels the dark side of our souls. There are seven deadly sins last time we checked, and there's two that capitalism loves, and that's gluttony and greed. The idea of more, 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 nicer, richer, sweeter, cooler, better. Those things eat at our soul. It's a cancer of our soul, and if we don't leave those things unchecked, will become shallow, decrepit people who worship the God of gluttony and the God of greed. The third danger of capitalism is that you might actually make a lot of money. <laughs> you might actually make it. You might actually get rich. And in doing so, we've sold a portion of our soul and said, I worship that. I worship that. Excess, I worship the money, I worship that God. And you might say, Josh, geez, man, no one would ever say they worship the God of money. And I would say, Show me your checkbook. And when you look at your checkbook, you can see what you worship. It's the truth. And it's hard to talk about, really, as we talk about money. It's a very uncomfortable topic to talk about. I can assure you that it was uncomfortable to talk about today. And it was uncomfortable for Jesus to talk about. And Jesus talked about two things more than anything else in all the Gospels. You can go read them. Fact check me. He talked about the kingdom of God and he talked about money. Money is a spiritual issue. We would like to say it's not. We would like to say, no, no, this is an opportunity for investment. No, no, this is an opportunity to to build a legacy. And Jesus said, yep, I know. I preached parables on those things. (laughs) Jesus talked about these things a lot. It is difficult to talk about. Paul says it this way in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 9 and 10. Paul says, But those who want to be rich fall into temptation and are trapped by many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. Verse 10. Maybe. There it is. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. You hear that? It's normally misquoted, right? People say the love of money. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. And in their eagerness to be rich, some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pains. Paul is warning us. Jesus warns us. Money is morally neutral. But when you get people involved with it, it no longer becomes neutral, (laughs) You can either use it for great good, or you can use it for great pain. It's one of those things that we have to be very careful of. So this passage hints at the problems and the temptations that we face. Namely, more, 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 accumulate, accumulate, and accumulate. How many of you have been to an estate sale? Just curious. Oh, uh, most of us, all right. And uh, this is, of course, those times we had an estate sale for my grandmother when she passed away. And it's one of those things that they sort of prepare you for, right? If you get an auctioneer to come, they prepare you for it. They said, we just want to warn you. We're going to set out all of grandma's stuff. And we're going to set it all out. And we are going to get rid of it in four hours. Just prepare yourself. Because it is her life's accumulation of things. Uh, David Sedaris in his book Calypso, I really recommend this book if you're looking for something funny to read, this book is hilarious Um, he has a sister, he comes from a large family and uh, his sister uh, commits suicide and he's walking through the sort of the the process of that grief with his family and uh, his partner and his, uh, his dad and all of this and he's trying to figure out what in the world, how do I make sense of my sister's death and he has this moment Where he says, we had all of her possessions of meaning oiled down to a shoebox. Oiled down to a shoebox. And that was what was left of her legacy. Man, you might be saying, Josh, this is really, really depressing. You're not selling me on anything. This is not exciting. I don't feel uh, empowered. I'm not ready to go. I'm just like, geez. All right, auctioneering, estate sales, and shoebox. You might say, where in the world is the good news? And it's only really depressing if your life's work is all about acquiring stuff and money and accumulating and getting more and more. But what if you lived your life in such a way that it couldn't be boiled down to a shoebox? What if you lived your life in such a way that an auctioneer could not get rid of the impact you had? How would that change the posture of your heart, the orientation of your life, and the engagement that you have with those around you and your family and your community? What if no auctioneer could sell it off, and what if you couldn't fit it in a shoebox? I think it would change drastically. Our gospel today uh, comes from the Gospel of Matthew. And uh, the Gospel of Matthew is uh, one of those that belong in the synoptic tradition. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. They sort of all borrow from the same source material. Nod your heads, you're following around. You've heard this many times. It's one of the four gospels found in the New Testament. And Matthew is writing primarily to a Jewish audience. And there is this uh, sort of chunk of teaching in the back end of the Gospel of Matthew where Jesus begins uh, teaching these things called the parables of judgment, which which sound pretty serious uh, because they are. And Jesus is probably teaching on Tuesday. And then towards the end, he will be dead by Friday. And he is teaching his disciples and those who will listen these life-valuable things. These things that are extremely important for orienting our heart. And so these are uh, parables that are filled with harsh words. I want you to hear the backdrop of grace on that. There's an expectation when Jesus teaches a parable that it goes against the evildoer, except for these parables often are against the people who are faithful, but not sold out for Jesus. And it becomes a warning them, a challenge for them, a kind of rallying cry to to bring our heart closer and in line with God. And so Jesus is encouraging them. And he's saying, take warning. If you don't watch out, it will be like this. And this parable falls in that category. Jesus bucks the expectation of the day. I think it's important to hear those words. So there are uh, three uh, servants who approach they're given a number of talents. They were gold bars. And man, if this was a real gold bar, how many of you have ever held up a gold bar before? You know how heavy those suckers are? They're dense. It's amazing. And I'll tell you a really funny story. Um, I, I was preparing for this sermon on like Monday, so I, I cut this out. And I could have sworn that the first, the first sermon only got three talents which is why I have uh, three gold bars. Uh, this is like your pastor being humble, saying, like, I thought I knew the passage. And then I went to read it, and I was like, oh, man, I was wrong. <laughs> so just, just telling you, if you got a degree in Bible, you can still mess up. It's okay. All right, so uh, the first uh, servant is given five talents. The second servant is given two gold bars, gold talents. And the last servant is given one. And they serve as sort of uh, an investment for them, something they need to do something with. And you might be having a couple of questions now. Like, what in the world is a talent? Like, can I go down to Wells Fargo and buy a, a talent? Like a, like a, like a, like a T-note? Uh, is it similar? No, it's not at all, right? As Connie explained earlier, it's, it's a, a measurement about 16 years worth of wages. In today's uh, kind of weird calculations, if you take the average income, it's a little over a million dollars. And the first dude is given five, five million dollars. And he doesn't have amazon.com to spend it on. I don't know what he's doing with it, right? But he invests it. The the second one is given two million, and the last servant is given one million. The master really is doing a good job here of diversifying. And, and you all might diversify as well. Maybe you give your talents to Chuck and maybe you give them to a guy named Merrill and you give them to another one called Vanguard and you just kind of see what they do. Uh, investors, no. Okay, you'll get it, right? You'll get it, that one later. So you, he diversifies amongst his servants and that's, uh, that's what they would do during that time. And they invest it. And then the third servant comes back and he hides it, and then he gives it back to the master. And you're all familiar with this passage, where it says, Well done, good and faithful servant. You may uh, enter into the joy of your master. So he gives the talents back to them, back to them, and they are rewarded for the service. And the third servant it's not very pleasant, <laughs> what the master says to him. Like, you wicked servant. Don't you know that I reap where I don't sow, and that you be cast out? And it's, it's, it's bad news. i want to encourage you to read it in its entirety, because it, it, it's, it's harsh language. It's very difficult. But this third guy, the reason why that he is in trouble so much is because he squandered the opportunity that the master gave him. So friends, I wonder if I can ask you a question today. Can I ask, what are you doing with your talents? And what are you doing with your life? Jesus gives us this word of warning in Luke, chapter 12, verse 15. Jesus says... He said to them, Take care, be on your guard against all kinds of greed, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of possessions our lives are gifts and they should not be spent acquiring more and more all right so maybe i've convinced you and now you're wondering okay josh great if it's not supposed to be uh, spent acquiring more and more and more then how do we measure it what's it to be measured by If you're a note-taking kind of person, if you've got a, a phone and you want to write something down, i got one word for you today. One word on how we as Christians should measure our life, and that is by generosity. Our lives should be measured by generosity. Something that cannot be sold away in four hours at a rummage sale. Something that can't be kind of boiled down to a shoebox. Something that when I die, I hope the person giving the eulogy says, I don't know where to start with that guy. Our lives should be structured and built and invested on generosity, a generous spirit of love and charity. And this is where it gets hard. This is where it gets really hard if we're honest, because it's so much more than just generosity of our finances, although it is that. And I'm going to get there in a second. I promise I'll make you deeply uncomfortable, right? We'll get there in a second. It's so much more than that. Because the objections start to pile on. You, you might say, well, look, Pastor, you don't understand. I, I can't give right now because I, I have to get my house in order, right? I got I to get things settled. I got I to pay this off first. And, then I'll, pay, and then, then I'll be generous. And I'm here to tell you that that's a lie we tell ourselves all the time. I fell into that trap. I would tell my last church where I did not give a dollar, and I was on staff, I said, I can't give because I have student loans. And it was a spiritual issue for me. And so when the bishop appointed me down here to Chapelwood, my wife and I had a heart-to-heart conversation, and I said, as soon as we go, we're giving to that church. I don't even know y'all yet, right? <laughs> I said, I have to give because it's got to change my heart. It's not about getting my house in order because my house always needs tended. It is a garden. My budget is a moving target, and I know yours is too. It's not an excuse. It always needs tended. It always needs adjusted and developed and worked on. So does our heart. And so the objection there doesn't really work for me. And you might say, well, pastor, I can't give 10%. You don't understand. And so you might be getting into this question, well, how much should I give? And I would say, give what you can. Jesus tells the parable of the widow who gives two mites, two pennies. Jesus says she's given more than the Pharisee who gave a whole gold bar. Start with what you can, just a little bit. Because what that does is it slaughters the God of capitalism, and money, and gain, and wealth, and prosperity at the door. And it says, God, do with me what you will. Change my heart. Let me see that these things that you've given me are to be used for your kingdom, and your glory, and not for what I want. Start where you can. There's no uh, kind of rule here at chapel that says you've got to give x but i want to encourage you to give something whether it's a penny a quarter a dollar 20 a hundred whatever it might be it is a spiritual act that changes our hearts and our postures towards each other our community and god it radically transforms who we are we have to take this idea seriously because Jesus talked about it a lot. Now, if you're like me, I'm always looking for an example, something to sort of capture my imagination about giving and about budgets and about money and about finances, something that I've struggled with, right? Many of you know I came from a family that filed for bankruptcy when I was in college and I saw tuition to pay. So I know what it's like to not have money in the bank, quite literally, right, zero. And then your tuition's due, and you're like, I don't, that has a comma in it. I don't know how to pay for that, right? So I get it. I get it when money is tight. I've worked multiple jobs. I know you all have as well at different times in your life. And now I only work one job, praise the Lord. And so I get it when life is good, and we don't think about it a whole lot. But I think that this will help us explain a little bit about budgets and all that. Because how many of you want to be generous? You want to be generous? Raise your hand right? Most of us would say generosity is a good thing. I desire that. I want to be generous. I want to give back to my community. I want to be a pillar of this community. I want to be the, the dad that blesses my kids. I want to be the mom who writes uh, all, all my kids letters with checks in them. my grandmother sends all of her grandbabies checks for their birthday. I want to be that sort of granddad when I get older, right? I want to be that guy that blesses my family so that I can also bless other people? I think this will help. Because oftentimes we'll want to be generous, right? And so we want to give of our time, we want to give of our talents, we want to give of our treasure, we want to give our financial resources. But oftentimes our budget looks a lot like this, does it not? And we're gonna say, man, this is like, first really hard to get off apparently. This represents every single dollar that goes through your household. And luckily, gas prices are kind of low right now, right? So, you know, you spend a buck, 60 per gallon, you go to H-E-B, and maybe you get the generic brand or maybe, maybe you get the nice stuff. I don't know. <laughs> They're having a sale on beer, so you get what you need, right? You're having a party, so you want to get the, the ribs and you want to get the burgers and the brats, you got to get charcoal because everyone cooks with charcoal cook with propane. We need to have a, a conversation about your soul. And so, you know, you, you fill it all up. This is your budget. And before you know it, you say, well, I, I should be generous with my community. And so I'm going to give to the church and I'm going to give some other places. I'm going to give to the school. They're doing another book fair at my school. I think my children have four book fairs they're participating in. And I want to be generous. I want to support those things. That's important. And I want to give... Uh, to the local food basket and I want to give to uh, my... Then there's Christmas and I have... Before you know it, you don't have room in your house for that much generosity. I'm going to argue that we get it wrong. We get it wrong. We try and fit generosity on top of our lives. And it really needs to be the other way around so that it orients our heart in a powerful way. And so what if you began saying, you know what? I'm going to be the person that gives. I can't do this. I'm the person that gives to uh, the, my children's fifth book fair. And I'm going to be the person that gives to my church. I'm going to be the person that writes cards for Christmas to all my family members. I know there's like 14 seniors graduating in my family this year, but they need an open house and gifts. And we begin to think about generosity from the perspective of our heart and starting there as opposed to ending there, and then maybe you buy your gas, you go to H-E-B, you might have to get the generic, I know, anathema, right? You do what you gotta do. You hold the party for the friends, you chlorinate the pool, (laughs) you pay the lawn people, you buy more stuff for hurricane preparedness, And what would you know when you begin with generosity and you orient your heart that way, everything fits. We get it backwards sometimes. We try and add generosity on top of our lives as opposed to beginning with it. So I want to leave leave you with these three things, three things that we can do, as opposed to just giving of our finances, which is very important. I want to talk about that. You can give of your time, you can give of your talents, and you can give of your treasure. These three things will change your heart in a very generous way. As you get older and older, you know this to be true, that time maybe is worth more than money. I'll tell you right now that I am a person that enjoys my work and my hobbies, and when I get interrupted, I get very upset. (laughs) Not with who's ever interrupting me, but personally, I'm like, I'm not trying to work on this. This is my thing. This is my time. When I give of my time, I begin to value the other people around me in different ways. I begin to say, you're worthy of my time. You're worthy of my attention. And I need to focus on what you bring to this community as well. When I give of my talent, many of you can do things that I cannot do. Some of you have massive experience in leadership and management, and you can mentor young leaders in your community in ways that I cannot even dream of doing. Some of you are incredible with woodworking. Bill Cromwell, where are you? You can do stuff with wood that is just disgustingly good. I see you back there. Yeah, I don't know how you learned it, what you did, how you traded your soul for woodworking, but teach me your secrets, right? The talents that we have, can be reinvested in the community. It's a way to orient our heart around generosity. And the last one is the tricky one, because I used to think I could only give of my time and talents. I used to say, I can't give my treasure. I don't have that much to give. You hear I would hold on to that and I would say, this treasure, how little or big, it's mine, mine. And that's why it has to be included in our hearts. It's not only time, it's not only talent, it's also treasure. Because it transforms who we are as people. And so may we as a community value time and talent and treasure in a way that provokes generosity amongst us. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen.